This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. And welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, Mr. Pob, and with me, I have three experts in the field of Warhammer 40,000 competitiveness. Uh, two experts and a guy. Yeah, how did I get in this group? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> So one of you, one of you plays, one of you crunches numbers, and one of you talks a lot. So, <laughs> boom. Which one? Which one am I? Oh. So uh, with me, I have. You might have already figured it out. I have uh, Mr. Rhesius. Hello. Uh, the Falcon swooping in from 40k Stat Center to Ta-ka! the lowy low podcast on the Frontline Gaming Network, <laughs> and finally, fresh off of his. Patent bringing him one step closer to ruling the world with robots, Mr. Brandon Grant. Hello, everyone. Thanks, Pablo. And congratulations on that, buddy. Feels good. Thank you. Wait, why Our... don't, you know what, Pablo? Why don't we let Brandon talk about it? Because it's pretty pretty badass. Uh, Brandon, would you feel comfortable talking about it to tens of people? Sure, <laughs> tens of people. Um, so, basically, I've... Advanced Skynet's master plan for replacing <laughs> all human-oriented work with robots one step closer. Um, and this time, it's I've made a seal that's able to deal with harsh environments, so robots will be able to handle meat packing and processing better. So the spice seal, you mean like a seal for like a, what a gasket, a joint, a joint, sort of yeah, a joint for robots. Yep. So, so that they can move around and not get all that delicious blood and organs inside of them, but also not get people sick after not being cleaned thoroughly enough. He's underselling it. Basically, robots will now be able to chainsaw their way through masses of people, and then <laughs> afterwards hit the showers and not have to worry about water getting into their See, Pablo, you're getting ahead of yourself. That's at least three or four steps down the plan. That's yeah. three or four patents away. <laughs> exactly. Three to four months from now. Then we can <laughs> talk. Right now, it's just through beef so that we can have tasty hamburgers. And, and that's that the only... Down. That's definitely the only thing it's for. Wink, <laughs> wink. <laughs> wink. <laughs> Beep, poop, bop. So, uh, anyways, that is... That is uh, Joking aside, that is quite an accomplishment, Brandon. Um, that's not something that people get a chance to do very often. And as your friend, uh, I am very proud of you. Thank you. That is cool. All yeah, right. it's pretty impressive, buddy. Speaking of butchering 
killing machines. We're going to talk about the new Space Marine stuff a little bit today. We're also going to talk about the main topic, which is going to be the Imperium and all of its competitive glory. We're going to talk about the top three-ish Imperium lists that you will see at tournaments. Um, we're going to talk about how to beat them, what they are, how to use them, and then we're going to talk about the awesome Imper uh, Imperium stuff, lists, units, and powerful combinations that the Imperium has access to for all of you Space Marine players who may not have noticed what is good from your stance at the bottom of the standings. <laughs> yeah, shots fired, but if the Space Marine players were performing better, they would know what the good Imperium stuff is. <laughs> Alright, so that's what we're going to talk about. Before we get into all of that, this episode is brought to you by the brand new Frontline Gaming Network. Frontlinegaming.org, your one-stop shop for all goodies. We'll make some announcements more on that later. And finally, the amazing patrons over on our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash chapter tactics. Patrons get access to the Facebook group, Discord, and get to ask us questions at the end of every episode. Patrons are also eligible to win a special prize every month. So if you would like to be, uh, help out the podcast, help me out, help out the co-hosts, Go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. This month, Mr. Tanner won the prize of July, and that is actually an Imperial Knight. So, Tanner, uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be a new one. It's going to be one of my uh, Forge World nerfed ones that I just got, probably broken up and dusty. So, sorry, <laughs> Tanner, but only the best for my patrons. Uh, just joking, buddy. I'll email you. I love it, Pablo. I love it. <laughs> just joking. And, 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 and even better... Uh, Tanner, I'm actually going to email you with all the details. Uh, even better, this next month we're going to be giving away something extra special, the equivalent to that, and that's going to be one Space Marine character painted by yours truly. Oh, it's going to be pink. It's going to be thick. It's going to be pink. It's going to be thick. That's thick spelled T H I C C. <laughs> and someone's going to get it. Um, obviously, just joking. The, for this month of August, we're going to be giving away one painted Space Marine character, or if you're really not feeling kind of Space Marine-y, I can maybe work something out with another smaller character from the line, uh, and I'm going to get it assembled by the paint studio to a tournament standard. So, not bank-breaking, you're not going to be getting a world-class paint job, but you are going to be getting a character model that you can use in your army right away. Awesome. Cool. Pretty so cool. if you'd like to sign up for that, sign up for the patron for August. And we'll be announcing that sometime before Nova. Speaking of Nova and other big events, the ETC is right around the corner. So that's actually going to be this weekend, right? This weekend. You got it. The 12th. Okay, cool. Perfect. Um, so check that out. Of course, you can find all the awesome ETC coverage at, I think, I want to say Glasshammer Gaming. I don't know. There's, there's, you know what? I'll just provide a link when I find it after the episode. I should have probably prepared for that, but I didn't. I just added it at the end of the introduction. So I'll put the link to the ETC coverage in the show notes. But of course, keep an eye out for that. It should be a lot of fun. I'm so excited for Team America to come back in there and repeat. So. And just to add to that, um, yeah, I do believe you're right on Glasshammer providing most of the coverage. Um, but uh, Val and I have gotten ins with probably seven of the teams at ETC. So we're going to have some pretty in-depth coverage uh, for Stat Center afterwards. Um, nice. Mr. Adam Adam Obrama Babalitz is going to be uh, providing us with uh, like some game-by-game -game coverage himself. 
um, and uh, as well as some guys from Team Sweden. It's going to be great. I'm pretty excited for uh, how we handle that event. Uh, Val isn't. Val is absolutely terrified, but uh, we'll get through it. I want a <laughs> translator. I want you to get Will Ferrell to translate everything they're saying, even if they're speaking English. Okay, Pablo. Just All for right. you, buddy. Just so, for you. I'm excited. Will Ferrell, I heard, is a big orc player. <laughs> Um, and then uh, finally, some other announcements. Uh, our summer mat sales going on at FrontlineGaming.org. Uh, we only have sales a couple times a year at most. They're very, very infrequent, very rare. Uh, and so if you want an FLG mat and you want a cool 6x4 mat, mat that you've been eyeing or one of our new mats that we just released, all of them are actually pretty cool, go to FrontlineGaming.org where you'll be able to get the mats at a discount. And you can pre-order the Space Marine Codex and supplements while you're there through us all right quick topic i wasn't going to talk about originally i was going to save it for an entire episode and i still am but i'm so excited and you all are excited judging from the talk before the episode that is about the new early space rain stuff so from brand new baby carrier to all the chapter tactics what are your all first impressions starting with mr brandon grant so first of all it's, uh, for me, starting to explain why some of the uh, renegade Chaos Space Marine chapter tactics, quote-unquote, were so good. Um, I kept comparing them to the old chapter tactics and thinking, where's GW going with this? This isn't even similar. The new ones are just so good. It's like, I wish these were like the Space Marine ones. And now, oh, oh, I see what you were doing. Um, it makes a lot more sense now that the chapter tactics in particular have come out and they're almost in many cases at least twice as good as they were before um so i'm really liking it a lot because you're taking ordinary units and now the chapter tactics feel like instead of being a minor benefit it's a specialization so it really just makes that space marine chapter who's benefiting from it do something radically different from its other brothers on the tabletop so Unless you're Gulliman and doing everything by the book, each chapter has something unique to offer. So I'm already looking at things like uh, the Black Templars, where before, Black Templars were kind of a joke. Nobody even bothered taking them this edition. I, I've never seen a Black Templar model other than maybe an Emperor's Champion, so you could use the Black Templar's command point ability or on the table. Yeah, or a Scout Squad. Something like that. And now... I think that having an entire army with reroll dice to charge is fine. I mean, we already saw it works. We already saw it works do it, and orcs are fine. They have reroll charges almost all the time. So, and then yes, they have the five up feeling of pain against mortal wounds, which, which is huge in the current meta for an elite army like Space Marines, where at a minimum you have eleven point models, or I guess nine points a wound or so. Um, having that extra save a third of the time to ignore mortal wounds against armies that are spamming smite is actually pretty solid. Sometimes it means that a unit that should have died won't. So all in all, I'm really happy with what they did with Black Templars without even seeing the rest of the release. It's like, okay, these guys are going to get to grips with the enemy much more reliably, which is definitely my style, for example. And and to to go even more in depth on that Black Templars thing, I'm just thinking about 
like stuff like Grimaldus, which you've never seen played. Um, but he gives exploding sixes, and now all Marines getting plus one attack on the charge or heroic intervention. Um, you're gonna like that ability plus these new chaplain abilities they've mentioned, the new litanies of battle. I'm really excited to see where they go with that. Right yeah. on. It did uh, feel kind of weird that a uh, Space Marine punched so poorly compared to shooting you when in the fluff, you know, there are these power armored Space Marine things. And now there's so many things that punch harder than Space Marines did. Like, even the latest Sisters release with the right build, you get Sisters of Battle with three strength, four weapon skill, three attacks on the charge per model. It Space Marines felt a little left behind. So definitely the assault ability for all Adeptus Astartes feels correct yeah um reese i know know that uh you're limited in uh what you what you can say about the space marines um however just off of the chapter tactics which have all been released um what kind of stood out to you about the chapter tactics initially so only the chapter tactics right obviously my first impression is silly (laughs) But um, given what we've seen so far and looking at the chapter tactics, um, I'll come at this from a different tack because kind of adding on to what Brandon said about the fact that it seemed like their chapter tactics for Chaos Space Marines and Space Marines seemed like really underwhelming and there was only a couple of them that were good. For example, Space Marines, all you ever see is Ultramarines now. Like you had Raven Guard for a while. They're hanging in there. Um, and then there was a couple things to put nails in the coffin and it was like basically only ultramarines. And the reason why all of their rules are so much different is that those were the first two books written for the edition. Mm-hmm. And it was like totally different. And now they're, I feel like Chaos Space Marines, Space Marines are now just getting like brought back to where everybody else is. So my impression of it is that like your patience is paid off and now you're going to get a book that fits within the context of the rest of the edition compared to all other books. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that the, with my initial impressions was not necessarily the chapter tactics. I thought the chapter tactics were really cool, but um, I actually uh, want to talk about the apocalypse mega battle article that they had, where they talked about the warmer 40,000 preview at warmer world going on. Um, and in that article, they said that space Marines, will be allowed to have um, all the spectrum of the units available in the in the codex no matter what you are so blood angels space wolves dark angels i'm assuming gray knights and death watch though i'm not sure um but they basically said that the all all of the full spectrum of units available in the codex will be available to blood angels space wolves and dark angels um and maybe Grey Knights or Death Watch. So I think that's really cool. Uh, also, it looks like they're adding a lot of new stuff. So what I like is just the addition to all of the Space Marines in general, right? They all get that new, the cool new Shock Assault rule, which is like, and they shall know no fear, and then more bonus stuff. Um, so I think that's really cool. And then I think that, you know, if that is true, and that Grey Knights and Death Watch and Dark Angels, Blood Angels... Space Wolves have access to things like Thunderfire Cannons or Centurions or, you know, whatever. Um, that I think that's really cool. So um, I'm really looking forward to that and seeing what kind of crazy combinations people can come up with just with those alone. Plus, there's 
all the new chapter tactics that they said with the 18. I think there was 18 or so, right, Peter, that, that yeah. are on cards that haven't even been released, revealed yet? Yeah, they did announce 18 successor chapter tactics um, that we haven't seen yet, so who knows what those will be like. Um, I am very curious about the the, bo- the benefits getting being given to Dark Angels, Space Wolves, and uh, Blood Angels. Right? Like you said, we're not quite sure about Death Watch and Grey Knights. I think if Death Watch gets everything, that's huge for Death Watch. There's a, a number of units that I know Death Watch players have really wanted to have access to that they don't. Um, not sure if Blood Angels get a big bump from getting you know Thunderfire cannons, etc., without getting access to the the same stratagems. Um, but getting an extra attack is always going to be useful for Blood Angels and Space Wolves because, like, that's their bread and butter, right? Is getting in your face. So getting, you know, Wolfguard or Death Company with seven or eight attacks on the charge, potentially, um, with not even a whole lot of, uh, of, uh, finagling either, either is, it's pretty intense. Uh, Grey Knights too, right? Your Falchions all of a sudden are attacking three times instead of two. Yeah, Which, no, you know, and, Grey Knights um, need all the help they can get. They they do. Um, Grey Knight Paladins became like an extra step scarier, and they were already probably the best thing in the book currently. So, hmm. <laughs> now it's funny you mentioned that. I keep thinking, wait, are you saying that Death Watch, uh, sorry, Grey Knights is getting access to Primaris infantry? I, I don't know. So so here's the actual article says that um, all the the Okay, so the best cooks we've ever made, Tome Worthy of Reboot Gilliman himself, fluff fluff fluff, yada yada if you, yada. if you think there's gonna be Grey Knight Primaris Marines, I'll, I'll, I'll I will pop that bubble right now. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. That's, that's not happening. Okay, good. Yeah, but just um, check. It, it is weird, right? But they did say the data sheets included in the book will be available to all the first founding chapters and their successors. There so, you yeah. go. So they didn't mention Grey Knights Grey or Knights Death Watch. Are the first founding chapter. Yeah, or a successor. I guess you're right. I there was we just, go. I was, you know, I was just. They uh, were like a like way later. <laughs> I didn't read the first founding chapters, but so you know, I mean, there was a little wish listing. You know, I think Grey Knights probably deserve to have a little something. I'm sure they'll They're get not, their time I mean, in the sun someday. What that would take to turn them all into Primaris models like that's not a small task. That's true. The Primarisifying of Grey Knights will be saved for a later date. Maybe they'll become the new Plastic Sisters. People will talk about it for years and years. <laughs> when are we going to get our Primaris Grey Knights? Five years down the road, someone listening to this podcast and be like, oh my whether, gosh, they're coming out this summer. Whether it matters or not, they said at, um, it was Adepticon or I don't know, one of the, the um, big previews, they said that Grey Knights will never go Primaris. So, oh, wow. I did not know I, that. But that was like at that was during a talk and that was somebody speaking off the cuff, so I have no idea if that's accurate or not, but they they, they have said that. So mm. just Bummer. Don't well, make people false hope. Yeah, so if you're a Grey Knight player, just sell your army right now. <laughs> um you're getting squatted. That's what Reese is saying. Shop. No, no, come on. No, not that <laughs> to that extent. Just be realistic, right? Like mm. Like I said, they'll be the new Plastic Sisters. Yeah. <laughs> All I mean, right. Who knows what the future holds? But they they did right. say that, right? Like so. And GW's changed their minds before. This isn't the first time. Exactly. Really, outside of Fishmen, they've uh, they've uh, changed their minds enough. <laughs> and they said no squats ever, never, and they've been releasing squat models. So. Yep, it's true. They just released another one. It's true. Yep. It's true. GW, you tricky devils, you. All right. Um, is there anything anyone else wants to say about Space Marine stuff before we move on to the main topic? It's bonkers. I, I'm bonkers. super excited. 
Okay. Uh, look forward to a future Chapter Tactics episode or perhaps bonus episode on Space Marines. Uh, next week we'll have a full slate of stuff. We'll be in the middle of Space Marine previews uh, and ATC coverage. Um, so it should be an absolute slobber knocker of content. I guess uh, one thing I'll say before we move on. It did feel like Codex Space Marines was Codex Goleman and Friends, especially the way the points were balanced. I'm hoping that uh, the points and abilities have been adjusted in such a way that if you're building an army without Goleman, the points make sense. Because before, certain units were just, well, I guess I better have Goleman in order to make this work. So it'll be nice to see a Codex where you can actually bring multiple builds again. Mm. And one last thing. They did show off that um, the different uh, foundings are going to get their own um, psychic disciplines, at least Ultramarines and White Scars are, and that um, really intrigues me. Right on. Well, I cannot wait to see what the future has in store for the boys in power armor. All right, moving on to Imperium. So, if you're here to talk to listen specifically about tactics for your specific Imperium faction. Um, this is not the episode for you. Uh, I'm sure we will have one of those episodes in the future. Um, also, you can look up multiple, multiple medias, podcasts, shows, etc., where people talk about the specifics in codexes. We're actually going to be talking about the faction in general. So when we talk about lists, assume that we're talking about multi-faction Imperium lists, um, which have different units and combinations put together in one soup-ish list um, where everything's working together within the super faction, which is the Imperium faction. So, with that caveat, Peter, what are the some of the top Imperium lists that people need to watch out for? Well, these days, um, Imperium's kind of fallen into uh, kind of three main archetypes uh, based around specific units. Um the, there is the kind of triple knight list, which usually is uh, three crusaders or um, a crusader, a warden, a gallant, or, you know, like junior, a Flahey's list, a gallant, crusader, and a, a, a valiant. valiant. Um, so that's kind of like one of the main lists that you're seeing. It's not winning a lot of events. Um, I think it's won a couple smaller GTs. Um, it's, but you're seeing a lot of four and ones out of it. Um, a lot of uh, like T whip. Uh, lists where they go 4-0 and and then lose in the final round. Um, it's a very solid list, the most common being three Crusaders, usually House Crast, with a battalion of um, guards, just your loyal 32, and then a, a rusty 17. Possibly uh, they'll swap out the, co- the company commanders in that uh, guard list for tank commanders, because, I mean, those are everywhere now. Um, so that's one of them. Um, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the Triple Caladius, uh, which is showing up basically everywhere. If you look at recently, um, Andrew Gagno won the Summer Slaughter GT, um, and his list featured a Crusader, three Caladius Grav Tanks, and... Uh, wasn't that list Pure Knights? No, that one wasn't. There was another guy that won with Pure Knights um, in New Zealand, um, which was very unique. We hadn't seen that in basically forever. Uh, Ganyo's list start, had a knight with two warglaves, a crusader with two warglaves, so that way, uh, with House Crest, so they get the rerolls to hit. And then he had a shield captain, three Caladius Grav tanks, and then Vestroyan tank commanders, um, which is very similar to lists we've been seeing now for a few months, uh, particularly in the UK, where they don't have as much uh, 
and I, I shouldn't say this broadly, like it's a big thing like now, but um, like uh, terrain isn't uh, isn't quite the same as you know, often see in North America. So these like leaf blower lists that don't have a lot that can get into ruins uh, don't have to worry as much. Um, so this crusader with triple grav tank and usually two uh, tank commanders, uh, Vestroyan or Katachin, is it's it's very popular. Uh, Jessica Bowman came in second place at a. Um, at an event a couple of weeks back as well with the same list. Andrew Ford's been doing extremely well with it. Um, and I see it all over the place and it generally performs very well. Um, almost any list with triple grav tank is performing uh, like well above average. I think when I was last on the show about a month ago, I mentioned they were sitting around a 65% win rate. Um, and it, that still holds like they're the main reason why Adeptus Custodes went from being one of the worst factions to, you know, being up there uh, above a 50% win rate, um, you know, tangling with Tau and other other factions as a even as a mono faction. Yeah, they're undercosted. Yeah, they're definitely, <laughs> definitely undercosted. Um, and the, the other the other unit, I mean, we've kind of I've talked a little bit about tank commanders, um, but the, and this one's brand new. It's only started showing up the last couple of weeks, but it's seeing a lot of results. Um, it's made pure admech uh, a list that you have to watch out for, and that's the new um, Scorpius uh, disintegrators, the uh, heavy support choice uh, with the um, uh, LOS the. Uh, LOS ignoring shots. The Belarus um, Energy Cannon. That's the name of it. Yeah, so that thing is absolutely fantastic. Um, Rob Porter won Midnight Sun GT with it. There was a fellow that came in fourth place at the same event using essentially the same list. Um, you're seeing it pop up all over the place and and performing very well. Um, Rob Porter's list also featured uh, Catafront Breachers, uh, which um, have started showing up a lot basically post-FAQ once they had the big point drop. Um, Belisarius Call is showing up again just to make those uh, Scorpius Disintegrators work even better against uh, Flyers. Um, and they've brought back the Honor Dragoon Crawler, which we hadn't seen for a long time, um, mainly based off of this kind of uh, heavy mechanized list. So so that's that's really interesting because Admech are kind of playing the role that Renegades played um, so many years ago in 7th edition where it seems like less people are running them. But they're such a good powerhouse army that it's. I'm really surprised more people aren't running Advic. Um, they're you know with the points reduction in chapter improved and the buffs and then the new Scorpius tank. Um, they're really really good. And they make really good Imperial allies and really good peerless. Right, like at the LVO, we had like three, or two or three Admech lists in the top sixteen that were all vying to get into the top eight, and then with um with one person running Admech in his Castellan list. Right, so they're around, um, but Peter, is there any reason why maybe Admic aren't showing up as much as, like, let's say, like, Eldar, right? Or maybe maybe Eldar are too much, like Necrons, or, I don't know, it, it just <laughs> feels like they're not running around as much as they should. I think maybe a big thing, and no, I think you're right, I think a big thing for it, um, A, the Scorpius just came out, um, so there's obviously going to be a little uh, delay there as people purchase them, test them fit them into the list uh, in a way that they that they want um but also like post cha- i i think at least post uh, chapter approved the functional admec list completely changed uh, for a long time it was kind of a one trick stygies rush up termite drills that forge world was selling out of and i'm sure everybody in china wanted one <laughs> too um Rush up your your assault drills, pop out your electro your electro priests, hope for the best. And if that did if that failed, if you failed to charge, you were boned. Um, so there was a ton of lists that just didn't care. 
Um, and now they've moved into these like uh, catafront spam lists you're seeing a lot um, with destroyers and breachers. Um, and those aren't cheap models to purchase um, and get painted up, etc. And like nobody used them prior to chapter approved. They were considered essentially uh, a garbage. Um, and now these, with the Scorpius Disintegrator, the Belarus Cannon gives them a tool they didn't have, which is, you know, a way to clear out buildings that they just really had a hard, uh, like they struggled doing before. So hmm. that's my opinion. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, Brandon and uh, Reese have other no, thoughts. I feel the same way. I also feel like when we're talking about the Caladius being undercosted, the Scorpius is definitely undercosted as well. For the amount of firepower it puts out and the durability on that platform, especially the mobility that comes with its rules. I mean, it doesn't have the fly keyword quite, but it's still, it is a very solid vehicle for its cost. So, I think, in my opinion, you started seeing uh, Admic come on the rise with Chapter Approved, which they were the biggest winner. I don't think anybody's going to debate that. Massive point drops. And then also with Vigilists, when you got some really effective um, formations or detachments, whatever you want to call it, all of a sudden they had a bunch of tools to compete. And now they have been for a while, and especially now they're the best performing single or pure faction imperial codex in the game right now mm -hmm. yeah and you, yes. you see a lot of the similar things like um the servitor manipole and there's a couple in there that you see in every single list yeah, the Servitor Manipole is very popular. Um, a lot of lists take the Cybernetica cohort, but not everyone. Um, I think Rob Porter's list that he ran at Midnight Sun is 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 going to be maybe not the exact template, but very close. What, um, it, so it's for, got a little bit of everything. So for those of us who are uninitiated, what is Rob Porter's list? Sure. So Rob Porter uh, went to the Midnight Sun. He brought a Mars Battalion with Belisarius Call, an Engine Seer, uh, 15 Catafron Breachers. He had a squad of 10 uh, Electro Priests with the uh, Gauntlets, not the Staves, uh, two Onager Dune Crawlers with Icarus Arrays, a, an Assault Drill, and then he had a Mars Battalion with a Manipulus, an Engine Seer, uh, three units of Rangers with six of the Sniper Rifles, a squad of nine Infiltrators, which is also something we hadn't seen uh, pre-Chapter Approved and barely saw until recently. Um, and then three of the Scorpius Disintegrators. So it's got a little bit of everything. It's got really good shooting. Belisarius Call makes that shooting extremely accurate uh, yep. because he, he's got the the good rerolls. Um, Which, if you so, note, everybody has. All the new characters have the exact same wording. Yeah, and that's really awesome. I can't wait for like literally everyone to get it um, because that, that's going to change, I think, a lot from the minus one to hit uh, shenanigans that have kind of taken over certain aspects of the game. Um, and then, yeah, and then he's actually got close combat. I mean, infiltrators can definitely wipe out a unit, like no problem. And the, um, the gauntlet, uh, electro priests for a long time, they were considered like the, the worst of the two options, but they, they're, they've gone up in value. Um, and they work much better with Mars, uh, than Stygies where Stygies kind of wants that, the, the close combat version. So, yeah. So. Um, even though that is a pure admec list and we're talking about Imperium lists, I think it's important to note that most of the admec units Peter mentioned, I have seen personally do well on the tabletop in Imperium lists. Uh, Catafront Breachers are, are some of the most splashable units you can put in a list if you're desperate for a good, tough shooting platform that's also a troop choice. 
um, and you have the bubble wrap and you have the screening to be able to block them out of combat. Breachers are great. Uh, ben Cromwell runs Sicarian Infiltrators. Or I think they're Rust Stalkers. He runs Sicarian. No, it's Infiltrators. It's Is Infiltrators. It? The yeah. Rust Stalkers are, are not are as good. So good. Oh, Rust so Stalkers he, are mediocre. <laughs> uh, he runs Infiltrators in his Triple Knight list. He actually has uh, three Knight, the Triple Knight Crash Crusader list with a Guard Loyal 32 ish um, and an Admech detachment with some Breachers and the Sicarians that that he puts in the list and he was telling me at Boise when we were up there we we're talking about talking about it, having dinner he's talking about just how good the admec were in his list and then of course the disintegrators seem very splashable you don't need to just be admec to run them um they're a very splashable unit oh for sure i would i would consider allying them in a lot of armies yep. um on the imperium side like yeah. like brandon said they are they're probably too cheap for what they do um and that alone is always going to make them something you want to ally in right yeah and and then of course the rusty 17 is a good alternative to the loyal 32 uh if that's what you're looking for so there's a lot of good stuff that i bring to the table now yeah the thing i'll mention about that list and it's not just a bunch of units that are good enough on their own to just splash into any imperium list the synergies in that list with call in the center of it and the the different layers of different units all supporting each other. It's an excellent example of a combined arms list that has multiple threats in multiple sources that you have to deal with simultaneously. So it's very well designed. All right. So enough about the Admech. I want to talk about the other two Imperium lists that, um, although I feel like a lot of people see them and know what they do, they're, you know, they're pretty obvious. The Triple Knights, Triple Caladius, yada, yada, yada. Um, I want to I want to start with uh, Reese and then Brandon. Um, so, what do you do against triple knights? How how do you beat triple knights? They're they're kind of becoming a boogeyman. Uh, I didn't think it would be possible, um, but there are more knights than there were, you know, six months ago, five months ago. Um, how do people handle knights in general? If you're not planning for knights in your list, especially now with the Chaos Knight book, which is going to double down on it, uh, the Chaos Knights, I think in many ways are on par, if not better, uh, than Imperial Knights. If you don't have a way to deal with Knights in your list, then you're coming to a tournament with a knife to a gunfight. Um, the nice thing about Knights now, especially after the FAQ, which was sorely needed, uh, with no hyper, ultra, like, reliable defense against shooting, Knights die quite easily. Uh, if you have three, especially three that are getting in your face uh, rapidly, it can be more challenging to deal with. But um, melee, typically speaking, is the best way to kill a knight because they're not going to have an invul save. So you're going to want to work into your list something that can reliably um, deal damage to him from afar and then something that can finish him off in melee. For example, in my Space Marine list that I was playing, I had scout snipers who were actually one of the, especially Guillemin, most efficient ways to plink away at him. And then Guillemin himself and a smash captain, well, 86 multiple knights, no problem, unless they die in the explosion. Uh, and there's unfortunately nothing you can do to prevent that. But um, just think about that, right? Like in my uh, in my corn list, I know that I can put onto a knight anywhere from 6 to 12 wounds from range and then my smash prints with the skull reaver axe on average dice will kill a knight easily especially if i put four to six wounds on him average dice says that i'll kill him in one round of combat but no problem so 
you just want to think about that and do some num run some math, and uh, you should be fine as long as you build it into your list. Yeah, to add what Reese has said, um, if you're running a list that doesn't really have access to good killing knights in melee, I'm looking at you, Jukari, um, or Tau, or Tyranids. Guard, or Tyranids. Tyranids really struggle with knights. Um, there are ways to deal with not being able to punch knights efficiently to death in melee. Some of it might have to do with uh, taking certain psychic powers or warlord traits or relics to take mediocre units and make them a little less mediocre in melee. So the example I bring is um, the old grudges warlord trait for guard. You can pick on the knight that's going to get most aggressive, and then your army rerolls to wound against it. So you get a nice boost in damage output on at least the first knight you're trying to take down. Um, so when you have your guardsmen fix bayonets and charge in, they can actually hurt a knight at that point. Um, but the other thing you might do is if you don't have an army that can efficiently just blast a knight off the table one knight a turn, which if all three knights are going for you at once, you're kind of going to need to do, you're going to need to have a plan for slowing the knights down. The nice part is that um, even though they're super heavies, they can only move over enemy units while falling back. Uh, so if you have cheap units that can get in their way and not get within three inches to allow them to heroically intervene anyway, you can move block knights with any type of unit in the game, even infantry. So it might sound counterintuitive, but having an infantry horde with stuff behind it that is resilient enough to take their return fire... You can win that artillery duel if you run out if they run out of knights before you run out of bodies. So if you don't have access to good melee to finish them off, at least slow them down long enough for your army's shooting to to count. Yeah, and I, I remember learning this personally as a, a lesson from Brandon when I played him. Uh, he played my triple knightless, and one of my knights got into his face turn one, charged, killed pretty much most of his screen, got into the Bulgrin. I don't know I don't remember how many Bulgrin the Atropos blew or killed. Um but if that knight had blown up, Brandon would have been in a lot of trouble. But then Brandon uh, obviously killed the knight that ran into his line, blocked off my gallant with just guardsmen going move, move, move for pretty much the entire game. And then I only had after that one knight left because it was a triple knight list to take out basically a whole guard army. And this was before tank commanders, too. So um, if you can do similar stuff like that, uh, there are ways to handle knights without actually killing them. Um, like, degrading them can be very, very helpful. Uh, if you have a way to quickly degrade a knight to 12 wounds before you lose your ability to kill it, that can severely hamper it. It only moves 9 inches. It's only hitting, if it's a, not a gallant, it's hitting on 4s in close combat, which is very, very suboptimal. Um and, you know, uh, gallants are, can be move-blocked. So, it you know, there's ways to play around it, even if you don't have the tools necessary to k kill a knight. Uh, the last thing I'll mention is um, if you have things with the fly keyword or that come in from Deep Strike Reserve and they shoot well, um, if the knights don't have good support, you can just land on top of a ruin and keep shooting the knights. And oh, yeah. <laughs> then they have to use <laughs> command points to chainsword you if they have a chain sword, so you can use terrain to your advantage because again, the knights can't get up off the ground level, so they have to use command points just to take a swipe at you. Also, yep. um, a good point which I learned to my disadvantage: uh, when a knight outflanks using uh, Sally Forth, uh, 
their whole base does not have to be within uh, six inches of the board edge. So also remember that because a lot of players are taking advantage of that at this point in time. <laughs> Poor Reese. Oh, yeah. I told Junior that, too. <laughs> I got my pants pulled down, and it was uncomfortable. <laughs> so sorry. Um, <laughs> now, now, finally, I, I want to talk about um, probably the biggest Imperium boogeyman, um, and that's the Caladius Grav Tank. Now, I am not a good enough player to be able to say with confidence how to counterplay the Caladius Grav Tank, or if, in fact, there even is any counterplay to the Caladius Grav Tank. But it, is it as simple as just you shoot them and then hope you kill them? Because that never works for me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Brandon Rees, how do you guys deal with the triple Caladius list? Uh, and it's another list that it's maybe not a list that you're going to see every tournament or see, you know, be for sure like Knights or Space Marines. But it is a list that if you plan on doing well, you should be able to beat if you want to win a tournament. Yeah, and I'll tell especially you right in a now, large tournament. Like uh, China is running out of resin. Um, <laughs> So like it is, it is out there. There's a lot, but yeah, they're almost out guaranteed. Like they're talking to the Russians. Um, yeah, it's a whole thing. There's they're so many lime green resin now. Yeah. No, that's that's just... Oh man. Uh, don't get me started don't on that. Yeah, uh, that was... But I mean like GW has been sold out of the Caladius for like, I don't know. It feels like 14 years and somehow more and more of them are showing up. I'm not quite sure how that's happening. Um, anyway. They're everywhere. There's there's definitely two or three minimum at every GT these days. So, uh, recent Brandon, um, how 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 do you two plan for the triple Caladiuses? Um, either with gameplay, with list design, uh, or anything like that with those Imperium lists specifically. Okay. You... So, go ahead, Reese. I was going to say like the the. the... There's a couple things that make them, first of all, that make them a little bit too much, right? First of all, they're undercosted, maybe not by a lot, but they are undercosted. They're hyper efficient. So you're going to see a lot of them. Like when cultists were four points, you had a flood of them. And now that they're five and they've had a number of relatively minor tweaks, you don't see them at all almost, right? So right now the Caladius is riding the wave, right? The heck, it's Kelly Slater at the, at the peak of its power. So you need to be prepared for it 100%. A couple things are going in its favor, right? One, it's an efficient, high-volume-of-fire tank. High-volume-of-fire in the way that the rules work right now is, is where you want to be, right? It's the same reason why a Punisher tank commander is good. Um, throwing lots of dice if someone overcomes a lot of the issues that you have. The other part of it is the way that they change the movement rules so that at the fly keyword gives you infinite movement up or down, which I don't agree with personally, but that's the way it is. And if you're in an environment where there's lots of ruins and stuff like that, the Caladius is going to be at the top of its game. So be prepared for it. The thing is, in a straight shooting match, if you have good shooting units, you're going to be able to shoot them to death. They're not exceptionally resilient. The minus one to hit uh, banner, which works on them, the custodes, helps a lot. If you have a way to take that thing out, do it first. And then it's going to be infinitely easier to take care of, to, to take out the Caladius. The other part of the equation is that in melee, it's it's a lot easier to kill them if you can get there. They have a, a minus to charge aura, which combined with the fact that they can fly up on top of buildings is, is silly. It makes it even harder to kill them. But if you can do a junior, a flehi, one of his like signature moves, if you can go right underneath one of those things and um, heroically intervene into him or something like that, 
with a strong melee unit that has a fly keyword that can also go where they go. Smash Captain is probably the most obvious example. You're going to be able to get into melee with it, take them out without uh, taking any or minimal return fire. I used to play against these things all the time with uh, Jeff in Control Robinson when he was still with us. And you have to you develop techniques to deal with them. Um, and then the main thing is high-powered, accurate, long-range shooting, and then melee units that can play the same game that they play, which is interact with ruins and other similar terrain features and bypass their ability to slow you down. Right on. I learned a lot. That's all great advice, Reese. Um, Thank you. The only thing I'll add is um, Caladius tanks do not have good board presence, meaning they're an equal threat no matter where they are on the battlefield because they pretty much have the move with the fly keyword to be able to see anywhere on the table at any time. So they don't really control where you move your army much. So a lot of the lists that I see that take them tend to be very defensive. They tend to be, I'm just going to outshoot you. I'm going to take like triple Caladius and uh, Crusader and some tank commanders or some Scorpiuses or Dreadnoughts or just, I'm going to make the biggest, baddest firebase I can. And because I'm a Caladius, I'm going to outshoot everybody. And I say, great. Um, well, you can't shoot through ruin walls if you're playing in a meta that has ruin walls. And um, in my case, I will just move, move, move as quickly as I can to places where I do have board presence. So I am controlling objectives um, or threatening the characters that are buffing the Caladiuses, so he has to deal with it. And the idea at that point is, yes, you're going to shoot me off the table, and yes, you're going to kill more every turn, but I'm going to hold more every turn, um, and I'm going to focus on getting secondaries based on board control. So I'm going to get my points, you're going to get your points, and it's going to be a close game, even if you're out shooting me. Um, so at that point, yeah, if they're playing a list with Caladiuses, play a board control game. Play a game where you are not allowed to move to this part of the board, and as a result, I'm going to score more objectives and possibly get bonuses for holding more objectives. So, especially if you can get bonus points for holding, say, three objectives with characters, that's how you win that matchup, even if you're yeah. losing on the table. Right on. And All I just right. want to get in uh, before people in the comments say uh, yell at Reese over talking about cultists, because I know that's a sore spot for every chaos player regardless oh, no. of the fact that uh like all of the nerfs were were right guys just deal with it um it was needed they were broken <laughs> they didn't maybe, need to go to five points though. it's maybe they it's didn't need to go late. to five points <laughs> but i just want to get in there because like if we left it what we said the first comment guaranteed was going to be like a five page <laughs> diatribe late, by some guy in zimbabwe who was just like i can't believe you did this to me cultists are Awful. No one has seen a cultist since the Civil War. Now, like it was what we were gonna see. Um, so nope. I just want to like you. You're right. They should be four points. Everything <laughs> else was everything. <laughs> it's too late, Peter. I will blood add for this. the blood god. Bob is already pulled his car <laughs> off to the side. He is typing in the comments. Oh, seriously. This, this, yeah. this. <laughs> so I will add this. The last game that I lost was to a list with over 100 cultists. Yeah, That's that was true. Andrew, right? Yes. Arthur? His Arthur. list. Arthur. In 2011? In this year. No, no, no I know. Arthur's too, yeah. The his tsunami. list defied all commonly held beliefs about chaos, and I have absolutely loved that. Like, he had obliterators. He had 
cultists, all these things that, uh, that the conventional wisdom would tell you that you're a noob or a fool if you play. And here he is, top chaos player at Slaughterfest, beats Brandon Grant. And just like apparently has his like earmuffs on, not aware of what everybody, the internet is telling you. And that, that just, I love it when people do that. Like, And such an awesome guy too, like super down to earth. Super Loved nice. talking to him. So, yeah. And it's just like, he's like, yeah, I don't care what everybody else says. I'm going to do what I believe works based off my own experience and had tremendous success. Uh, I really, I really love that. Um, when stuff like that happens, it's, it's more common in this edition than others. Um, but my favorite example was in seventh edition when Brandon and Mike Snyder created the Wolf Star, the oh. the Bark Star Wolf Star. If you guys oh. all remember, it was awful. Thank you the for point, that, by the, the way. <laughs> yeah, I have a bad you, taste in my mouth now. <laughs> the point, <laughs> the point is, is that while one day I was looking at the list with Mike and Brandon, I think it was at the BAO, and I looked at them and I was like, guys, you could have ran this at the beginning of seventh. It, it literally, nothing has changed since then. The Inari had gotten released. Magnus had gotten released in that time. All this stuff had gone, come out. But you could have ran the Barkstar list at the beginning of 7th, before Inari, before everything else. And just no one did. It was just, it was just like a list that had been floating around being possible to be run in 7th edition. In 8th edition, it looks like Arthur's list. As soon as I saw it, I was like, this looks like something people ran at the beginning of 8th edition. Like, where are the Malefic Lords? You know, like, where, you know, where's the Alphabet Soup? Is he on somewhere else on the table? Like, you know? Um, so I really like that. I really like that, that people can run lists that are outdated or that, um, maybe they're more old fashioned and you don't see them as much, but you just put a little spin on them and you get a good player behind them and you can run them. So, um, I've, been, I've been saying this since I've been playing 40K. Is like, trust your own ideas. You do not need validation. You do not need anybody to tell you that your idea is good or bad. Go out and do it. And if you win with a unique idea, it's worth times 10 cool points as winning with a list that's already been won with before. Yeah, you, you don't always need to copy the latest hotness. However, if you are a bad list designer like myself... Sometimes you need to just copy a list if you want to do well. <laughs> and, okay. adding, and that's not bad. That's just not special. Yeah, it, it's better to play a subpar list that you're super familiar with than the latest hotness where you have yes. no idea what you're doing. For sure. That's a big one. All right. So uh, we talked about the Imperium lists. We talked about some of the cool, awesome units and combinations that we have. But I want to talk about more combinations and specifically things that Space Marine players might want to add to their list. Um, so uh, this is going to be kind of a catch-all thing for detachments or units that we missed or didn't talk about um, that S Imperium players can ally in. And I want to start off with the humble, loyal 32 tank commander. Peter alluded to a little bit, tank commanders are so, 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 so good. Um, they can fulfill multiple roles for your army. I added one tank commander to uh, a list that had really bad anti-tank, and that one tank commander by himself was able to take out knights, was able to take out Caladius grab tanks, just little things by himself without without the help of the rest of the army. Um, and, and, that, and, you know, I gave him, like, a last cannon, too. He was, he was just a champion, right? Um, so that's just one thing I wanted to add to that. If you're, if you're an Imperium player and you're struggling against a specific thing, whether it's hordes, you can take a, a Punisher tank commander, you can outflank it if you're worried about it dying turn one, uh, and then your Loyal 32 gives you 5 CP. Boom. It's done. You've got your Punisher cannon tank commander for clearing out maybe a horde, uh, and then you just build your rest of your army 
knowing that your tank commander is going to add to that what you need it to. So yep. that's just my one thing I want to add. So I can speak to that, and I'm sure Reese can speak to that, having both of us run tank commanders. So on the Katachan side, and then Reese, you probably can cover the Talon side. Having <laughs> you already, you, you predicted it. <laughs> um, so on the Katachan side, if you're already running a list that has a lot of vehicle threats, like let's say you're running Triple Knight and you take Loyal 32 plus tank commander, um, the tank commander does pretty decent damage for shooting. It's good shipping damage. It's going to do damage over the course of the game, especially if he's a battle cannon Katachan with the Hammer of Sundrance Relic from the Vigilus formation. So he just does flat three damage, and he gets to reroll the number of shots. That's a really solid damage sitting in the back. And if you have all these knights that are pushing forward and being aggressive and threatening to do a lot more damage than the tank commander... He's just going to chill in the back and plank away and do some serious damage by himself. So he's excellent fire support, but also gives you the CP. and doesn't really require any CP to operate, which is great for a knight army. So, yeah, just plug and play a Katachan Battalion into any list that already has a lot of vehicle midfield presence, and you want somebody in the back to help chip away. Right on. Um, <clears throat> Reese? Well, Brandon and I have discussed this ad nauseum, uh, and in his list it works because with uh, maximum threat overload MTO style list, um, you can survive. But if you're relying on the tank commanders to be primary damage dealers, Talarn is the only viable option in my opinion because you can move, shoot, move. Even though the Katachan version is more efficient on a per shot basis, the Talarn version, if especially if you have decent terrain, can pop out, shoot something, and then go back out of line of sight where he's essentially invulnerable. So um, if you want your tank commanders to not just be uh, additional damage or however Brandon would describe it, but to be like one of the main long-range hammer uh, units, Talarn to me is the only viable option because especially if you have decent terrain, they're going to be shooting at maximum efficacy the entire game. Uh, But it's cool that there's two options that are so good and I think if also uh, you want to go with Brandon, Brandon's model, but you went Cadian, uh, you could do that as well. So yes. there's lots of good options. Yeah. And and to the, that same note, um, another unit I want to highlight that guard bring to the table for any army is Wyverns. Um, Talarn so are also good. really good because they allow you, uh, models to, specifically vehicles, to move and shoot heavy weapons without penalty, which helps the tank commander because their sponson weapons and their whole mounted weapon isn't minus one to hit anymore when they move, which is a big deal because sometimes you need to just move that tank commander around. Um, but the thing I love with the Wyverns is it's so unexpected because you, Wyverns only have a 48 inch range, right? And every single opponent worth their salt will immediately look at you and go like, what's the range of the Wyvern? And then they'll measure out 49 inches from everything that Wyvern can hurt because Wyverns hurt. And then they'll, they'll just, okay, wipe their hands. They're done. The Wyvern's not going to touch that unit all game. But when you back your Wyverns up, even just a little bit more so that your opponent feels safer and lull them into a false insecurity. And then that first turn move up 12 inches and then fire wyverns at full ballistic skill. It can be really, really powerful and it's not, doesn't take that much investment. It just need, you just need a loyal 32, two wyverns. That's like three, 400, almost 400 points. And then you, uh, two CP, you can double shoot one wyvern. And then you're looking at uh, kill for, for turn one, if you're having trouble getting that, or potentially even kill more, or maybe you can shoot your opponent off an objective if they're if they leave one unit on an objective. 
um, which happens often. Uh, so that's also another thing you can do with Talon that I think is pretty cool. And Wyverns in general are just really, really good. Volstroya is also worth a mention because of the uh, extra range and then the stratagem plus one to hit for one CP, which is amazing. Yeah, and you see that a lot with the Punisher commanders when they when people take them. They they take a, at least a single one, if not two, with Vestroyan just to get that extra damage output. It's so good. Yeah, especially yeah. in a list where you just don't care what the infantry are doing. They're just there to get in the way and hold objectives. Vestroyan is a really, really solid choice. Right on. <clears throat> uh, is there anything else we want to add in terms of uh, guard splashes to multi-faction Imperium lists, or should we move on? Um... I would like to bring up Bulgren because we probably oh my should. Gosh, we didn't because even talk it's about one of the best units in that book, if not the best one. I, I mean, it does need a little. Units in the game, for sure. I mean, it does need a tad bit of support. Not a lot, because, I mean, you can do fine without it. But, I mean, having an Astropath or two beside it definitely doesn't hurt. Um, but having a bully unit, and I mean, we're talking a little bit about Space Marines, Imperium in general, but, like, talking about a splash for Space Marines. Space Marines don't have. I don't think, at least, like a really solid bully unit in your backline. You can take a, a decent punch in close combat, um, but you, like not you don't you don't have a lot that hits back unless you're going into terminators, which no one takes, um, or like. I think that sin- might change, but I'll, I'll say that. And and, and and I mean, yeah, for sure, it's quite possible. Like we said, we got a book coming in two weeks, or so who knows? But right now, at least, if you're like tomorrow, I want to bring my space marines. Look at Bulgren. That's another just absolutely ridiculous unit that's super powerful, and I love him. Yeah, I, I agree, Peter. Um, And I've got a question for Brandon, who I'm sure has something to say on the topic anyways. Um, but real quick, I, I do want to say Space Marines are some of the best screening. is probably one of the best, if not the best, screening unit or screening army in the game right now. Um, they just don't have... Uh, you know, once you break their screen, they just don't have a lot like a pure space marine list to protect themselves. Um, but they have scouts, so they can scout up, block there. They've got the infiltrators, which are absolutely nuts. Uh, and then they've got some of the best mid-range shooting in scout, sniper scout, uh, sniper. I'm sorry, not sniper. Scout bikers and veteran intercessors. Um, you know, and even like repulsors and stuff too. And Gilliman, Gilliman's a good mid-range kind of bully unit. Um, but if you don't want to own Ultramarines, I understand. <clears throat> so so they, they are really good KG uh, movement deploying, or uh, movement blocking, deployment blocking army with good mid-range shooting. But Bulgren helped them out a ton because Bulgren fulfilled a similar role. But go ahead, Brandon. So Bulgrens are weird, and I think that they're one of the better designed units in the game. Uh, the thing they're really good against is anything that's AP2, in the shooting phase, because if they're in cover and use the take cover strat, they're still sitting at a two-up armor save against AP2. So they're just so good at absorbing bullets. But then, if you look at them in melee, it's like, well, the best they can do is stow a one-up save, AP2 brings them to a three-plus save, AP2 will bring them down fairly quickly, AP2 or better, especially if it's D3 or 3 damage or two damage. That'll bring them down quick. And the other problem is uh, they're vulnerable to being focused by certain spells. So Doom and Jinx are really good against them. Um, Death Hex is really good against them. Um, Any ability that slows down their movement is really good against them. So they have serious weaknesses and counters. And it's built right into their profile. They're a move six infantry unit with, with no fly uh, 
if you're taking a unit of nine, they don't fit out in anything outside of a Stormlord. Um, and they're slow. They can't advance and charge. There's no orders, warlord traits, CP abilities, or anything. They're just going to move up the board, and they're kind of just going to hold ground. Because if your opponent doesn't want to get close to them, they won't. Um, so in some games, the Bulgrins won't ever actually charge anything. Um, but if you're playing them correctly, that's exactly okay. Um, so that's why they're called a bully unit. They're only going to bully things that come close to them, so your opponent has to move stuff in range of them. So you just want to put them in a position where if your opponent does get close to them, um, that's the only way they can score points, or to take out crucial screening units, or what have you. So the Bulgrin is your second line, um, or sometimes your first line against really fast foes, um, that's just pushing your opponent out of a certain section of the board. That's all the Bulgrins are really good for. They exist, and they prevent your opponent from existing in the same place at the same time. Um, but again, they're slow. Um, they're only strength 7, so T8, like knights, is just going to not care very much. Um, certain melee units will just kill them. Smash captains are a thing that can just Abaddon. flat out remove them. Abaddon, yes, oh, no. as I found Abaddon. out the hard way with Arthur. <laughs> um, so, heck, Gene Stealer Cult. If you get a unit of Aberrants into the um, Bulgrins, it doesn't matter if the Bulgrins have 3-up invos. The Aberrants will remove them. Um, so, that's all. That, that's what the unit's for. It's just for, I want to control this part of the board right now, and I don't want you to come to this part of the board right now. So, Brandon, in your opinion, if someone were to want to splash Bulgrin into their Imperium list, what do you think would be the minimum investment to be able to get the most return out of that Bulgrin unit? Um, so, first of all, um, I get a lot of return out of my Bulgrin unit because I can change my Warlord traits to help them. So, for example, I can take Implacable Advance, What's that? I just heard 99% of you say. <laughs> um, that's the Imperial Guard Warlord trait, which is when the Warlord advances, he and a friendly unit within three inches don't roll. They just go six inches for their advance. Mm. So in the matches where your opponent's playing triple Caladius and nothing else, and just a fire base, you're like, cool, my Bulgrins are going to move 12 inches towards you every turn, so you're going to have to deal with them. Um and on top of that, I really like having a Ministorum Priest behind them for the plus one attack per model. And once you have a Ministorum Priest, it's like, well, I may as well have some Catachans, because they like having Priests. Um, and then, yes, at least one Astropath. Psychic Barrier is the spell that keeps Bulgrins alive. A second Astropath or a second Primaris Psyker for Night Shroud also is nice, but not absolutely necessary, because again, the thing that kills Bulgrins isn't shooting anyway. It tends to be punching. Um, and if your opponent's shooting your Bulgrins, they're making a mistake most of the mm -hmm. time. Um, so that's it. The supporting characters are um, uh, having a Warlord in the Guard factions that sometimes the Bulgrins can advance up the board 12 inches a turn when you need them to be in your opponent's face instead of hanging back. Or just build a list with so much firepower that you're confident the Bulgrins will never have to leave your deployment zone and you don't have to worry about having a guard warlord. Okay. Alright. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's go ahead and move to a different faction, a faction that maybe people don't talk about as much, um, but as Brandon found out, can be surprisingly good, and that's Sisters of Battle. So, 
first off, Brandon, I think you have the most experience out of us playing Sisters of Battle, which is kind of sad because I think you've only played them once. That's right. But, but um, what are some... I have been seeing more and more people asking about Sisters, trying to incorporate Sisters into lists, uh, and in some cases, like uh, Tyler DeVries, um, putting them in Imperium lists and actually doing well with them. So... What are some good things that sisters can provide to Imperium multi-faction lists that you've seen personally? So I'll overview the list that I played. Very briefly, it was a brigade plus a battalion of sisters. So we had nine sisters of battle squads, all minimum, three seraphim squads. Um, He had two rhinos that both had uh, the flagellant models, the, um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of them. But they're the Arcoflagellants. Yeah, that's the name of them. So I had it right. And then he had Celestine. He had uh, three of the uh, Exorcists. And for those who don't know, Exorcists are 14 wounds, T8, three mm-hmm. up armor, which is what? It's a Rhino chassis. Um, but yeah. Well, it's got the little side sponsors, but yes. Um, so yeah, you go from T7, 10 wounds to T8, more wounds. With a, uh, an invo save, because you're sisters. So his combination was, in essence, um, have a cast of characters. So have one of the um, sisters of battle leaders have the relic sword, which is strength 6, AP 4, flat 3 damage. Which, good lord, that sword did some work to my Bulgrins. Especially when they can use the I just fight twice because I'm sisters act of faith. Um, mm. Pretty sweet. Um, and then you take the exorcists and you put them in a ball around the uh, Saint Celestine so that they have a 5 plus. And then you take the warlord trait, which is an additional plus 1 to your shield of faith save for everyone within range. So all of the um, exorcists are rocking 4-up invos at all times with T8. And then you use your act of faith with the strat to make it a bubble every turn for three command points that gives plus one to hit. So all of the exorcists are hitting on twos uh, with their four up invos. And you just have this ridiculous fire base. And then all of his infantry or the battle sisters were order of the bloody rose, which is the, it's basically the, the space Marine assault rule, but also plus one strength. So on the charge, these ladies are swinging three times at strength four weapon skill three, as long as they're near a priest which is just bonkers. Um, So it was such a cool game that we had. Um, And I did manage to pull it off very narrowly, but I was really impressed by what sisters bring to the table. Mm. Oh, and the highlight of the game for me was the Arco Flagellants deleting a 30-man blob of guardsmen um, just instantly. Because they can use... so many attacks. They use their stratagem so that all the D3s that they roll for extra attacks are just threes. All yeah, my attacks are threes. It's pretty bonkers. They get like nine attacks each, I think, when it's all said and done with that strat. So. Yep. So sisters are actually really solid right now, and I think we would be seeing a lot more of them, except that they're using metal models and they're outdated. But hopefully the new plastic models that are constantly being previewed, and if you haven't seen them, you should go check them out, will make sisters far more playable and approachable. So we'll see. Right on. Um, 
one thing I want to point out about uh, Arcoflagellants and kind of those weird inquisitorial henchmen is that Crusaders are also a unit that a lot of people were using as well, too, um, for a while. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe Peter has to sat here. Um, I'm not sure if people are still using them. I remember Ganyo brought a ton, but that might have been a year ago now. No, um, previous to the change, previous to the change to Acts of Faith, um, Crusaders, and also the ability to get to a two plus invuln, which oh, uh, yeah. they used to be able to do and they can't any longer. So those two things combined have kind of dropped them in uh, in in play, um, because with the Sisters of Battle uh, release, they no longer can use their old Acts of Faith that they had, um, which were a little bit better at least for them. Maybe not for ba- Sisters of Battle as a whole. Um, and then the yeah, the other thing being that they they can no longer get a two plus invuln. They're still, I mean, it's still a, a model with a three plus, like whatever twelve points for a three plus invuln and a power sword, but it's just not as as good as it used to be. Now I will say they can get a two up invo as long as they use psychic barrier. No, oh, I guess yeah. But they can't just use one CP in the shooting phase to have a two up invo, which makes them a lot less useful. Yeah. All right, so um. Are there any other are there any other uh, factions you guys want to talk about other than Admech and Guard Sisters um, that the Imperium have access to before we move on to Assassins? I'm ready for Assassins. We'll All right, come let's, back assassins. Later. let's let's talk Assassins. And the reason why I'm skipping Space Marines is because spoiler alert: Space Marines are coming out in about two weeks. So, um, uh, Assassins. So th- there's so much debate around assassins that I, I don't even know where to begin with this um you know some say that 85 points is too little that they should be 100 points some say that they are too overcosted and should be less uh two cp to spend them the, the point is that I, I think before the two cp nerf assassins were a must take an auto include in every imperium list now they're they don't feel like an auto include Although I think a lot of people are still kind of branding them as an auto include. So, what are your thoughts on assassins? What kind of imperium lists do they fit in, or do they just fit into every imperium list? Um, and if you do have to pick one, would you pick one, or would you pick the execution force? Um, so, go ahead, Peter. So, just to just to talk from a numbers perspective as to the auto include, um, when the assassins first came out for White Dwarf with their abilities and the one CP stratagem. They were at first showing up in about 60% of Imperium lists. It was 58, I believe. Um, that kind of dropped over time. It get, went down to about a 30. It sat around 29 to 32% for a while. Um, with the two CP nerf, um, they're down at about a f- like one in seven, one in eight Imperium lists wow. now bring the assassin. At least on paper. Um, like, like I have to go through these lists manually when it comes to assassins because there's not not everybody puts them in the same way. So it's possible I'm I'm missing one or two. But I do track everybody that uses the stratagem or or saves eighty five uh, weird reinforcement points on their list. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's about one in seven, one in eight lists right now are running uh, an assassin. Yeah, it's a huge drop. Yeah. Anyway, now people that know this game talk about it. <laughs> uh, Reese, did you ever run the assassins? Oh, I run them all the time. I told you about my Operation Slowpoke list, right, Brandon? No. Uh, tell us about Operation Slowpoke. Operation Slowpoke. It's a troll list, but it's also a highly effective one sometimes. So basically, you build a, a list that has three different units that can have your move advanced charge. Uh, Phobos Librarian, uh, Thunderfire Cannon, and the uh, Wyvern and the 
artillery detachment. So it doesn't always work. It's not always applicable, but when it does, it's ludicrous. And then the part of that list that kills things is the assassins. Um, I feel I'm of the opinion that assassins are about 15 points too cheap per model. If you compare them, you know, stat by stat to pretty much any other melee or shooting character in the game, they, they overperform. Um, and how they fit into the Operation Slowpoke is when you make everybody slow down, they can go in and like nitpick everybody out. Um, it's really good. But Assassin specifically, yeah. They're, like If you look at the Adversary and the Kaladis specifically, compared to any other like Smash Captain, any other melee character in the game, the damage output per point is out of whack. So anybody that thinks, in my opinion, that um, paying 2 CP to summon in whatever you need, isn't worthwhile is incorrect <laughs> without uh, a more PC way to put it. Well, um, there might be something to it, Reese, if they only have three CP to start spending. Fair enough. Two of fair it. Fair enough. But I think you're right. Like um, my current list um, is three battalions of guard plus the assassin. So I start with 13 CP after vigilist formation plus the assassin. And um, the assassin's super helpful. It fills a lot of gaps in the list, and I'm getting the hang of using it appropriately. The thing I will say about the Assassin is if you, if you expect him to solo things every time... Oh my gosh. The the Slaughterfest, I was so disappointed by my Assassins. They were just flubbing dice rolls left and right. It's like, when yeah. You and I, when I went, you and I spoke at Slaughterfest, you were like, I don't know if I'd buy one for 100 points. And I was like, eh. Uh, the Vindicare especially is the most luck-dependent, but the Calidus, the Eversir, are hyper-reliable yeah. and efficient. I had uh, Calidus fail to do two wounds to uh, Aramon. She's like, okay, five hits and no wounds. Oh, okay. I guess I'll die. <laughs> it happens, hmm. you know, sometimes. Um, so what I'm learning is that you, the Assassins are really great on paper, but they're also made of tissue paper. And yes. after seeing Frankie play the damn Keller Morphs the way he played them, where, for those who aren't aware, the Keller Morph is the, um, if you're familiar with Overwatch, Mr. High Noon of um, 40k with his six pistol shots that every hit generates more shots, hitting on twos. Um, strength 4, AP 1, 2 damage. So, he's pretty good. And you'd think, oh yeah, just, you know, use the lying in wait strat, be three inches away from a character, and just kill him. Well, Frankie just brought him in directly behind his front line and used him to start picking up my guardsmen. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool because he had a pretty durable bike unit in front of the assassin. And by the time the uh, bike unit was dead, I had nothing left for the assassin. So the assassin lives another round, gets to shoot again and again and again. I'm like, I might have to do something like this. So I'm definitely becoming more of a fan of using assassins as part of your assault. So they just oh, surprise, I have more here than you counted on. And also you have to chew through my stuff before you even get to the assassin. And if the assassin fails to kill you, I still have more stuff that can yes. follow up and pick up the spare. So I think if you're only going to take one assassin, you're going to need to use it more carefully and selectively and in a way where either you're a Vindicare and you're just chilling in the back and who cares, or um, you're supported enough by the army that if your dice flub, you're not just hanging in the breeze. Yeah, using them as the fluff would indicate, where like you deep strike behind your opponent's entire army, and then you try to kill his his HQ, 
is going to yield tears on your cheeks. But if you use them in support of the rest of the army, like you said, like Frankie takes four Keller morphs and it's ludicrous. He uses them to clear screens. Like he looked at the math of their stats and he was like, mm, what do they do best? They shoot like crazy. So should I go try and assassinate the character? No, I'm going to use them to kill 10 man units of guard, which statistically they will kill almost the entire unit every time. And then they're hyper efficient because they live to do it multiple times. Right. And if you do that with them, they're ludicrously good for the points. So assassins, I don't think they're undercosted. I think they're fine. I think you need to use them correctly. Don't count on them to go ham because sometimes they're just not going to do anything. Um, but put them in a position where even if they fail to kill their target, they're not just going to die with no recourse. Right on. Uh, so real quick, uh, the execution force is better or worse than one assassin? Worse? Worse. I take it because I like it. I don't have any logical reason for it. I just like mm-hmm. using all four. Right on. I, I think it's cool. I think... I know I know there are a lot of people who still try to use assassins um, and make lists around them with low, with uh, lower 32s or Imperium mixed lists. Um, so it's, in my experience, you, you always want one assassin, but sometimes one assassin is just not going to do anything, and you might expect a little too much of it, and then you never want, like, more than one assassin except in extreme circumstances. And, and if, if you're going to default to one... Don't take the Vindicare. He's the most fluky. <laughs> take the Calidus. Like, the Calidus mathematically will yield dividends more frequently than any other assassin. Yeah, and even even in matchups where you want to bring other assassins, like, for example, the Calexus assassin, Jim Vessel has a great, great, um, like, a five-minute tactic tip on what he deals with Calexus assassins in an earlier chapter tactics episode. Um, <clears throat> where he was on talking about his chaos list, and he was basically saying like, "Yeah, I love it when people bring the Clexus Assassin against me because it's a model my plague bearers can just chew up on and hold in combat and not be able to be charged, and I could just sit on an objective all day while this assassin just bounces off my plague bearers." So he actively plans for it, and a lot of other people do as well. The Clexus is the best objective holding unit in the game. Period. It, yes. Also, that so too. If, if when you, need... you when you bring it, that's what you should think about. It. Like. I'm going to sit the Calexus on an objective in the corner of the board where he's always behind other units of non-characters and then no one will ever shoot him and he's going to give me six points or whatever. Yeah. He's going to earn me four to ten mission points throughout the course of the game and win me the game. Yeah, That's he, what you bring the Calexus for. I agree. Especially against an army that, that doesn't hoard army that can't capitalize on the Calexus and going out there and killing it. <clears throat> like knights or something, right? So if that that assassin goes in the corner and your opponent doesn't have the resources devoted to killing a model that they could only hit on sixes with five wounds and a four-up invuln, that assassin's golden. Yeah, he's going to win you the game on points. Yep. All right. So um, so I think that's it for um, some of the powerful combinations. Is there any other powerful combinations that we might have missed uh, that Imperialists use that maybe we didn't talk about? I feel like we covered almost everything. No, we, I'm pretty sure that's about it. Like we talked tank commanders, we talked the new disintegrators, triple Caladius, um, Imperial Knights in general. I don't believe there's really anything else we're seeing, uh, like commonly at least from like a splash perspective for Imperium. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, 
power armor factions in general have done very poorly for a while. I'm, I'm super glad that that's probably going to change soon, um, with the exception of Death Watch, which has performed okay post-FAQ. Some of their FAQ changes kind of took them down from being a, a, a top contender to being kind of middle of the pack. Yeah. Right on. <clears throat> and so with that, we're going to we're going to finish the rest of this topic on the Space Marines and what they bring to them fear and multifaction um <clears throat> later when the Space Marines come out. So then we'll have a full complete picture of what Space Marines do, what they bring to the table, um and then maybe we'll even have some cool awesome mono faction Space Marine lists for everyone to talk about. <clears throat> but as for now, that's it. That's the end of the episode. Um, as always, at the end of every episode, we like to open up questions to the patrons, and uh, this week was a little weird. Normally, I, I open up questions to the patrons specifically about the topic of the episode. Um, however, uh, this this week, there were some cancellations with guests and co-hosts um, for this episode, so I didn't actually know what the topic was going to be about. Um, so I didn't have the patrons, so I just basically told the patrons to ask me anything, and so the questions are going to be a little more random and um, not really topical, um, but I think they're funny, and I think they're cool. And of course, if you want to ask us questions that we will answer at the end of every Chapter Tactics episode, all you have to do is sign up for patreon.com slash chapter tactics, and we will get you your question answered. All right, so the first question comes from um, someone, Adam, uh, from Australia, uh, has oh, been no. asking this question multiple, oh, multiple times. Oh, no. I, you know, I've been skipped it multiple episodes and, you know, I have to answer it. So what is the correct number of nipples? Adam. Of what? Of nipples. Of nipples, Reese. Adam, first. On, you, on what? Oh, uh, I, on I, anything, I know on this. Anything. On, okay. First, Adam, you take the year you lost your virginity. Divide it in by two. Multiply the number of times you've been yelled at at a bar for drinking too little. And then... Pablo, he's Australian. Exactly, that's zero. Do you get, right. ever get yelled at for drinking too little in Australia if you're not drinking constantly? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, and then... Um, and then multiply it times the difference between... Imperial Knights costs in Australia and Imperial Knights costs in the US and that is the correct number of nipples a model should have. That covered Adam. Boom. Okay. <laughs> Next, uh TJ wants to know uh, thoughts on all the new oh, thoughts on all the new space marine stuff. We did cover that TJ. Uh Nikhil wants to know how are the Chaos Knights settling into the meta? And this is actually a question that Peter's probably best to answer and I'm curious to the answer as well. Well, uh, so far, I mean, it's it's only been maybe, what, two, three weeks now that they've been in the meta. They're doing pretty good. Um, they've definitely increased the, the knight content we're seeing at events. Um, knights had uh, been sitting around 20% of lists, um, having at least, you know, some kind of knight available. Now we're up to 25, 26%. Um, and yeah, they're generally performing well. Um, they are getting uh, kind of pulled down by uh, some people trying, let's say, some 
um, less than optimal builds um, with them. But uh, they're sitting in a, at about a 50% win rate, which is it's better than the Renegade Knights had been performing. Um, Date Nobre this last weekend uh, went uh, four and one, came in second place at a GT with a mostly Renegade Knight list. So they definitely ha- have some stuff they can put on the table. Right on. Um, <clears throat> uh, Chris wants to know thoughts on players dropping for tournaments after a loss. Faux pas or fair game? Um, start with Reese. <laughs> why would you start with me? Mm, I don't know why. Maybe because you have a strong opinion. I don't have a strong opinion. I just the best thing to do, like if you're community minded, community minded, is to stick it out and try to have fun. Um. If you come in, lose your first game and bounce, that's that's a faux pas for sure. Um, it also depends on, you know, your personal, uh, do you have something to do? Was it like a stretch to make it to the event if you had to lose and then go do something else? But like on a, like a purely ethical level, uh, you should play all your games. Because everybody else there came to play, you paid your money to play, and that's the most gentlemanly or gentlewomanly thing to do. I I can answer this in more detail. Yeah, you should absolutely sign up for an event with the intention to play all of your games, no matter what the outcome is. Even if you go 0-5, keeping your chin held high, and finish your games. But sometimes things happen. Like, um, I had a friend at Slaughterfest who dropped his last game because he got two hours of sleep the night before, and he, he was dragging. And he felt that he would not be able to give his opponent a good game, and he dropped his last game as a result. And I'm like, I can understand that. Uh, it's a bummer that you're too tired to play anymore. But basically, if you feel like you can give your opponent a good game, even if it's going to be a loss, you should go ahead and do it. Just because you sign up for the event anyway, you might as well play. Yeah, so I have a different opinion than Reese and Brandon. Um, I I feel like if you, if you want to, um, you know, make the TO happy and, and kind of support your community. I think definitely staying till day one is probably the absolute best option. However, for day two um, is where you want to look at a couple other factors. Um, I usually drop day two if, if I do poorly day one, um, but I also come from a much more competitive background where if, for example, in Magic the Gathering, um, most people drop after losing their second game because they're out of the running. And that's a very common thing to do in Magic. Um, and usually after that, people go play side games or have fun enjoying the rest of whatever the event is. Um, but I understand that Magic is uh, both a different beast and it's easier to play pickup games of Magic, whereas in a warmer 40k tournament, it's not so easy. You can't just like drop out of the tournament and then go find some random person, you know, with their army and then just play them, you know, using up one of the precious tables that TO set out, right? So that's not always an option. Um, but I think the best time to drop if you're going to is at a large event where there's multiple things you can do for the second day. So, for example, if you go to the Las Vegas Open, uh, Friday, you do poorly. Um, you know, Saturday, there's other events you can go. If you brought X-Wing models, you can do X-Wing stuff. Um, you can do Magic with friends if you have friends there to play Magic. You can go enjoy Vegas with your family. Um, and then Sunday, you can come back and do the RTT, right? So there's stuff to do on uh, day two 
um, where you would normally not be able to enjoy it if you were playing in the tournament, right? So if you're in Nova, if you're at ETC and you want to see the sites, I think it's perfectly acceptable and fine to drop for the second day for large events um, if you're traveling. Because I understand that you play, you flew all the way out there to play Warhammer, but you also just flew all the way out there and you might not have the opportunity to see the things that you would normally be able to see um, anyway, so... If, if you're going to drop doing it at the end of day one is definitely the most gentlemanly or gentleman womanly way to do it. Because the TOs have time to correct, uh, re- repair everybody, and then move on. Like, yeah. for sure, that's the best way. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. Exactly. You don't want to, and you don't want to ghost an opponent either, because um, yeah, that's a super feel bad moment. Um, but that being said, I mean it's your however much money is spent on the ticket. You do you, boo. Um, if you're going to a multi day event and uh, you know you had a shit time your day one, um, or you know your first two games were just a terror bad. Go to the TO, just be like, hey, dude, I'm really sorry, this isn't for me right now. I'm gonna step out. Um, and but like. Just be positive about it. Don't be, uh, like, I've seen, uh, you know, the occasional fellow have a bad couple games and then, you know, storm out models in hand and you're wondering where he's going. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's a game. You're going to have bad games. You're going to have good ones. Just uh, yep. have fun yeah, and just think about the rest of the community when one, you do it. Um, if you've taken the time to ask questions and say, what could I have done better? Maybe even ask your opponent, like, what could I have done better? See what they have to say, and if you treat every game as a learning experience, it becomes do. harder to drop because you know, even if I lose all of my games this event, I'm going to learn and I'm going to become a better player as a result. And Warhammer is just friggin' fun to it's, play, guys. Like that's it's just awesome. So getting in, like I would lose six games in an event and not give two craps, unless I was behind on stats, and then maybe I would I mean, uh, drop it. At Slaughterfest, I went into up. my last game two and thing. three. And I was, I, my sixth game was the one of the most enjoyable games of 40k I've ever played in my life. Like, we were laughing. Like, Pablo, you were there. We had, like, a crowd around our table. Oh, that was so fun. Because we were dying, laughing, drinking beer, high-fiving, because neither one of us cared what happened. <laughs> we were just like, my opponent was like, let's just make this the most fun game of 40k we've ever played. And I was like, I'm on board. Let's do this. And it brought me back to being like a kid playing the game when the outcome was not as important as the experience. And I wouldn't trade my sixth game with a two and three record at that tournament for a a game I I won an event with. Like, it was so fun. And if you go in and sometimes the pressure's off and you can just let your hair down and relax, you're going to, like I had, you may have the best game of the next two years of your 40K life. Yeah. It, absolutely. Uh, don't don't be like me. I I stuck through it, and um, I I typically don't can't do that. I don't know. You know, I just can't turn it off. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If you take the time to make sure that you just have a fun game, um, obviously don't play poorly. Obviously, make it a game, make it a competitive game. But um, you can have have an absolute best. And of course, Reese is like one of the best opponents to play against. So it's very easy to have a good game playing Reese. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Reese uh, really <laughs> enjoys life. Uh, like he said, um, he 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 thinks back to his childhood during the Cold War, and um, you know the fear of uh, nuclear holocaust at every turn. So like to him, like every moment it, it could be his last. Hey, you laugh, and so he but just I was he just alive. lives when he plays Warhammer, guys. It's something to see. Well. 
so so do I. But uh, yeah, I had to shock Pablo with how old I am. So, so um, uh, moving on to patron Kelsey wants to know um, what are our thoughts on 40k adopting the Age of Sigmar's um, the player's code that GW put out uh, as I guess as something that we actually use for negotiating game outcomes and whatnot. Um, and for those of you who don't remember, um, GW released a Warhammer Age of Sigmar Players Code um, with essentially a lot of common sense stuff. Some of it was was a little silly, like the um, never complain about your bad luck, your opponent's good luck. Um, but a lot of it's just kind of like, uh, you know, common sense stuff. Um, but what are you guys' thoughts on, on maybe implementing a 40k Players Code or something like that? Um, with things like Offer to shake your opponent's hand before and after every game. Always be polite and respectful. Remind your opponent about rules they may have forgotten to use or which they have used incorrectly. Um, asking permission before touching any of your opponent's miniatures. That stuff like that. Or butts. You know, I can't help butts, myself. Pablo. The rhino grabs what he pleases. <laughs> Models oh or butts. Oh dear. So, I don't follow uh, oh Sigmar at all. But I'm looking over these rules, and they seem like a lot of... I can't believe I have to say this, but yeah. here it is. Um, it's all common sense stuff. But that's kind of it. It's just, at least with the ITC Code of Conduct, there was some very clear-cut penalties for judges discovering um, when foul play had occurred. So yellow cards, red cards, those sorts of things. This is more or less just try to be a gentleman or honorable when you're playing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't be a douche yeah, canoe is basically what the like, whole thing like, is, right? So. Just be like the kind of person that you would want to play against. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, follow the golden rule, yeah. and then everyone also, should Kelsey, be solid, well, right? Ahead, um, I... I was just saying, also Kelsey. No, you go ahead. I'm pretty Pablo, sure you could just put this in the like the Space Marine Codex as like a you know chapter tactic doctrine. Gilliman's you know 15 <laughs> rules of engagement when, <laughs> when in when engaging Space Marines. Or don't something. touch I don't your know. opponent's models. <laughs> There's a fluff reason I'm sure. First company but, rules. But I do like this, even though it doesn't have any anyway. like crime and punishment style in it. It does cover a lot of stuff that leads to problems that sometimes isn't as obvious, like, I don't know, ask permission before touching your opponent's miniatures. Um, just little things like that maybe aren't as obvious. Yeah, and I mean, we, like, this game does have its socially awkward players, like Pablo, so it's really good to have something like that, because, like, some people really don't, uh, don't think about it, like, they're just, they, in their mind, they're helping, or they think it's really cool to pick up your model off the table and take a good glance at it, but, I mean, then they put it back in the wrong spot, there's all sorts of little weird stuff that can happen. <laughs> Alright, so, so yeah. um, patron Matt wants to know, what are some off-meta chaos lists that could do surprisingly well? Um, and I just want to preface this with saying, Matt, we did talk about Arthur's list a little earlier in the episode, but is there any other lists that we didn't talk about, guys, that are some off-meta chaos lists that could do surprisingly well? I think there's a million chaos lists yep. right now that could be amazing. They have so many tools in the tool shed. They're the second most commonly played faction beside the Imperium super faction. And there's a reason for that beyond just their like, broad appeal. They have so many different ways to play. Like, 
there's so many lists waiting out there to be discovered, like Slanesh demons with, uh, you know, corn uh, world eaters with chaos knights. And then somebody finds this potent mix of combos that goes out and just smashes. So if you're a chaos enthusiast, just start experimenting. And I guarantee you'll find something that's amazing. Um, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry, Breeze, to cut you off. Um, like recently in Australia, um, there was that guy that ran. He went, he went five and zero. Oh. He didn't win because someone else had more uh, more victory points than him. But he went five and zero oh in an ITC event with three keepers of secrets, uh, Silaneski and the other like Shakraki Hellbane or whatever her name is. Like that was the list. It was five essentially keepers of secrets with um, demonettes in front of it, and uh, like that's a list that you, you you don't see. Like there's there's so much out there that you can fiddle with, um, and just like Reese said, like there's, I mean, chaos has a billion codexes to pull from, so you can do some pretty snazzy stuff. Yeah. And uh, and surprise some opponents. It's not uh, just well, all plague bearers. To and be a little more specific, sons. Matt, uh, one unit that I do see coming back even though they got nerfed into the ground, um, is cultists. Um, I played against a cultist list, an Abaddon-focused cultist list at Boise, and it gave me the most trouble at that tournament out of all the lists I played. And, you know, I, I went, I only lost one game that tournament. And then, of course, Arthur beat Brandon Grant. Arthur had a lot of cultists in his list, too. I think he had two big blobs of 30. Um, yeah. He had three big blobs of 30. Uh, he had three. Cultists are still really good, and yeah. they're I think they're very off-meta uh, because... You can still do a lot with them. You can still regenerate them. You can still shoot them and do a ton of damage, especially to Imperium armies. And then you can still assault and do a ton of damage with them. And with Abaddon, fearless 30-man blobs are really, really good. So, you know, there's something there. All right. Uh, Mr. Tim wants to know, what has been the biggest surprise in 40k for you, Pablo, in regards to meta shifts that hit you out of left field and things GW has done to the meta that you didn't expect? Um... Cultists, I didn't expect cultists to get nerfed so hard. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. That's uh, that's a really good question, Tim. Um, what are for you guys? What are some some of the biggest surprises in 40k in terms of uh, GW GW choices that have kind of hit you out of left field um, that you didn't expect? Well, for me, it was the uh, commissar change. Mm-hmm. So commissars used to just. I execute one model, you pass. And now it's you execute a model and you get to re-roll the test. Which is usually mathematically worse than just letting them run away. That's right. So basically, commissars are spend 15 points to get a bolt pistol, or I guess a bolt gun, but also provide a leadership 8 for nearby guardsmen, because you're not going to use the re-roll. If you take a commissar lord, you get leadership 9, which is nice. Yep. Yeah. And if you're Katashan, you get Leadership 10. So that was the biggest change where I was like, "Eh, that doesn't seem true to the fluff anymore. But, oh well. Yeah, um, another thing is the assault rule. Um, with the move, with the fly and basically the way GW handled movement, I thought all that was very surprising too. Um, I expected to handle... I expected them to handle the fly roll and moving and charging buildings. Um, I expected them to handle it a little differently than they did. Um, and that was probably the biggest, especially this year. The fly rule annoys the shit out of me because uh, this is just me speaking as a, a player of the game. All you have to do is just measure in three dimensions. 
It's really not hard. Pythagorean's theorem. We all <laughs> learned it freshman year of high school. Like, uh, if you can measure your tape measure in two dimensions, but you could also bend it up and measure in three. So that's the thing that frustrates me to no end. It's like, <laughs> why why does the Caladius grab tank have infinite movement up and down and the same amount of movement laterally, horizontally, or whatever, however you want to describe it? Like, it's so easily solved. And yet, here we are. It's hmm. That frustrates me. Hmm. All right. Um... I believe that everything GW has done has been perfect. There's they're wonderful been, uh, people. Uh, no they're, mistakes they're, this edition. They're intelligent and awesome people, but like that one specifically... Ugh. Fly has been pretty bonkers, especially... As a as a former well not a former I do still try to make them work Blood Angel player where they made a whole codex around it and then nerfed it into the ground six times um, it just makes me sad and then they br- brought it back slightly and so this I'm waiting like, why write I'm a watching five GW. paragraph rule when you could write it in one sentence that it's just whatever it's all yeah. good. <laughs> so uh, next question Matt patron Matt wants to know can I make Grey Knights work at Nova uh, and by work he defines it as going six and two or better. Um, no. So you want to make top bracket? With Grey Knights. It's possible, but it's extremely implausible. Well, that's that's positive even for you, Reese. Hold hey, on. Hey, I did it on. with Space Marines two years in a row, buddy. Sorry, are we talking pure Grey Knights here? Uh, yes, he's gonna, talking pure Grey Knights. I was thinking, like, a strike squad. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, there have been two Grey Knight lists that have... Yeah, there's uh, the Paladin uh, Star. Gotten, ...gone to at least 4-0. and oh. uh, Yeah, the, so there was Eric Lathuris' list that he won a major with, but uh, to preface that, like, Eric Lathuris is possibly the best player, and no offense to Brandon Grant, because you're the best player I've talked to, but po- I've seen actually move models, because the man is, like, so precise with everything he does and so fast. Uh, so, like, him winning a major, like, doesn't shock me. The fact that he did with Grey Knights was just, like, a feat. Um, and then there was, a like, a very small GT in the UK recently where a Grey Knight player went 4-0. Um, I believe their matchups were very positive for them going into their final matchup, and then they lost their last match, like, 40-10. to 10. Um, So, like, it, it's not to say it's impossible for you to go 6-2 and two with, Grey, with Grey Knights, because I think you can do it with anything, with the right matchups, if you've got a really good strategy in mind. Like, But there's a, there's a lot more, uh, like, dominoes that have to fall in your favor to make Grey Knights go 6-2, and two, I think, at Nova, without some kind of drastic uh, change that we don't know about. That's going to happen in well. When's the Nova the rule uh, deadline? Up in like weeks. We're almost there. <laughs> yeah, so it's gone. So never mind. Like, <laughs> just don't do it. Do something else. Uh, Make a better uh, life choice. Patron Chris wants to know: Does four <laughs> does forty k <laughs> need a Yelp rating for players? Perhaps built into the BCP app. He hates it when I draws a player and people come out of their way to warn me about them, only to show up and say that the player is um, being overly friendly and uh, is perfectly, you know, Yelp rating. <laughs> I think this well, is silly. We, are we in China? Like, or do we get like a social rating? That's this where my like mind that, went. <laughs> this that's is like that black not mirror. That's not racist. That's the thing they're doing. Racism. Uh. Racism. I'm gonna. That's exactly I'm what gonna call Tom Gilbert and ask him. <laughs> it's I'm like joking. that Black Mirror episode where the girl's <laughs> life gets ruined by a few poor social interactions. Yeah, I, I will say, 
Uh, I don't think that's a good idea. But I will say I think... that if it ever does happen, patrons will get extra bonuses if they give me five <laughs> stars on Yelp. <laughs> and now you've just unraveled Every... <laughs> why Yelp reviews for 40k players is a bad idea. Well, yeah. we already kind of have Yelp reviews. We have sportsmanship scores, yeah, it's called, right? Yeah, it's called, what, uh, shit-talking and tactics? <laughs> like, it's so already that's, there. Those are the negative Yelp reviews. Those yeah, are the one-star reviews. Those are the only ones anybody reads, Pablo. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, if someone has 5,000 positive reviews, do you think anybody reads the, the, oh. the, those? Or they read oh. the, the two negative reviews? <laughs> Someone's like, you spilled my shrimp on the ground and I hate you. <laughs> speaking, speaking as the guy who operates the eBay store, <laughs> uh, 100% in agreement with you um all right uh moving on uh patron nick wants to know what changes are you expecting to see in the upcoming faq what units do you think need to be nerfed versus which units need to be countered in list building blah 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 blah. um uh personally i think flyers are probably probably number one flyers in the caladius tank i think those are probably you know the two big targets so have a plan to deal with negative to hit modifiers Hmm. but you guys you guys have any others and unchargeable units. Yes. Ooh, because yeah. what plan do yeah. you possibly have for that? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, in an FAQ change or a whatever, I would like to see something that addresses terrain and if, uh, a little bit more than what they've already done so we don't have to make up our own rules. Um I think that's big. I think uh, from a points cost perspective, which I mean, they normally only save for chapter approved unless it's like absolutely absurd. Um, I mean, the custodies will hopefully get like their finalized Forge World rules. Indeed. So that'll be big. Um, and that'll probably fix the Caladius. Um, Plague Bearers, I think, should go up a point. I'm not sure they need to. I've been in and out on this one. But I think Plague Bearers probably need to go up a point. Or something needs to change around them um, because they're probably a little too efficient. It's hard to say because like they're like the only thing in the game that doesn't die. Um, and maybe we should yeah, have something I mean, that doesn't. I, don't know. I think I think Plague Bearers, are, I mean, as awful as they are playing against them, I don't think anything's wrong with them except that, that they can auto-pass morale and get guys back. Um that's and that's not even a rule for them specifically. That's just a demon right wide rule that I severely disagree with. Um, so, anyways, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, patron Josh wants to know what kind of conditioner I use, um, and I warned him that that would be a long answer. And Josh, let me preface this by saying, if you are single and you want to get a girl to be a little nicer to you, a female or, or boy, but usually, I, you know, in my experience, it's worked on um, females, uh, and that is ask them about their hair. Ask them, you know, give them a good compliment. Be like, I, I don't know how, how is your hair so, the volume, it's so sheeny. Like, how do you get that to happen? And nine times out of ten, I've just been given the best hair tip advice of my life. And the girl's been like super cool, man. We had a great conversation. Now I'm a married man, so I did not capitalize on any of these encounters. However, um, if you were a guy and you're both looking to, you know, break the ice and get good beauty advice, that's how you do it. But it's a conditioner I use. I use uh, used to use Head and Shoulders conditioner plus shampoo, but that's awful. Don't use that. I just use the regular Head and Shoulders shampoo, and then I have a coconut based conditioner that i use specifically for my hair uh and then i have a leave-in conditioner that i use separately 
Um, that makes my hair awesome. Boom. There you go. Show notes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Beauty Brandon, tips. How, what's your favorite hair care product? A razor. <laughs> Good like, man. Good man. <laughs> um, it's just a. All right. Moving on to Mr. Kane. And this is an answer of Brandon because he he um, already talked about it at the beginning. Before the episode started, and that is what new chapter tactic for Space Marines stands out as a clear winner? Brandon. As a clear winner? Um, let's see. Well, first of all, chapter tactic, I'm friends with Goleman, is still going to be extremely strong, whatever that chapter, ta- chapter tactic was. So, Ultramarines are still good. Um, but if I had to pick one, it would be the Crimson Fists. Um, mostly because I play an army where the smallest unit size I can take is 10, and five-man squads of I hit on twos is just going to ruin my day. Um, so especially when you're bringing armies of vehicles that also count as five models, it's just going to be like, oh, are those plague bearers at minus two? I still hit on fours. Bye. Um, so I think that even a battalion of uh, Crimson Fists added into Imperial Soup is going to be a thing that's going to be showing up after this update to just be like, plague bearers are not a problem anymore. And if you look at uh, the that Liberator Strike Force now, combined with their, with their current, uh, well, their new chapter tactic, if that works together still, who knows? Um, like, they're getting three extra shots or two extra shots. Yeah, they're getting they're basically getting three hits on every six they roll. They're bas- they have Tesla with all their yeah, bolt guns. Yeah, on like That's centurions. Pretty right? bonkers. Um, speaking of centurions, imperial fists. Yeah. With the uh, siegebreaker cohort, centurions um, are only looking to they get can't... so much better. Oh, imperial fists! I'm sorry, I thought you said crimson fists. My bad. Yeah, imperial fists specifically. Which is already a ludicrously powerful. So good. Um, yeah. Yeah, they just suffer from that's being actually slow, something I was really, talking to more people so. about. Um, Centurions in the Siegebreaker cohort, as like a splash in to an Imperial army, are actually pretty good. You you don't you, you still knight? need to invest. Good. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just saying like having played against it at the Slaughter Fest, like a knight cannot come within 36 inches of that unit, or you will die. Yes. Yeah, and and they're they're tough. You, with the right character support, they could be even tougher. They're really they have good. a one-up save with their the like splash warlord trait that they get from their detachment. Like yeah. you can line them up in the open and still not worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's not that much of investment, mm-hmm. especially when you're comparing them to the other things the Imperium splashes, like multiple tank commanders and Galadius grab tanks. So uh, if you're looking for a little spiciness to add to your loyal thirty-two and your knight consider looking at the Siegebreaker cohort, especially after the Codex drops. All right. Uh, and then finally, Jason wants to know, with the release of the new Space Ring Codex, will I be playing Papa Smurf and Friends soon? And the answer to that question, Jason, is no. Would you, I'm gonna be would you like blue my bands. prediction, Pablo? Yes, I would love your prediction, Reese. So, obviously, my prediction is uh, not the same as, as Brandon and... The Falcons' incredibly insightful uh, predictions based on the information at hand. Mine is cheating. It's like you're a game genie for anybody that remembers that point in time. <laughs> yes. But um, I can't explain why, but these will be my mm-hmm. predictions. These, these are my. Tell up, me up, more. Down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, BA, select, start. For Ooh. those of you who. Um, Contra. Yeah, uh, well done. That was before oh. your time. 
these are my predictions, and I can't wait to see what the meta uh, proves to be true or not. But my my opinion on the new Space Marine Codex is that Iron Hands are going to be the most pre- they're going to be the new Ultramarines, followed by Imperial Fists. There's a lot of data that's not out. Imperial uh, the, Fists. Because yeah. Iron Hands, I 100% back up. We were discussing this before the oh, show. Just, there's so but much more to see. I am... So much more to see. And, and they're getting a special character, aren't they? Sorry. Iron Hands are getting a special they character, aren't they? they, they well, it was did announced. Did they announce that? It, yeah, they did. Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't... I don't make that up. Like, I have no... Con- to the people listening at home, my only connection to the Games Workshop world is what Pablo <laughs> will tell me, which is absolutely <laughs> nothing, despite everything I try. So, yeah, in uh, on Warhammer Community, probably, like, nine months ago, or it was probably closer to six, they were like, and for you Iron Hands I players, guess what? That. You're eventually going to get a special character, and they I, previewed I mean, if, it. If they already said yeah. it, then it's, it's no big deal. They didn't say anything about him, so Reese... Um, before you give me all of the details on his stats and rules, well, he's um, awesome. I'm trying to save so you out here. Just whisper I'll say them. that. But um, <laughs> that, those are my predictions, like based off playtesting and blah blah blah. I think Iron Hands are going to be the new Ultramarines, followed by Imperial Fists, and I can't wait to see if I'm wrong or I'm right. Yeah, right on. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for that very long Q and A. Um, it's probably one of the largest episodes, but it was very enjoyable. Thank you very much for the wonderful questions. Um, if you would like to hear more from Reese or the Falcon, Reese, where can they find you? Peter, where can they find you elsewhere? Uh, Signals from the Frontline on this FLGN network. And the Falcon... You can catch me and Val Heffelfinger on 40k Stat Center. Um, this week we actually have a special guest host because Val is uh, sleeping the week away. Um, I'll uh, leave that as a surprise for when we publish this uh, later this week. And uh, you can also check out my website, 40kstats.com, where I kind of go over all of the faction statistics for every faction, both as a mono-faction and as a multi-faction list, and all of the top fours from every GT yep. and major. And, and then finally, as a, just week. a personal announcement from me, um, I have been working on a, an episode, uh, Best of Jeff Moments, um, and despite the fact that it, it may not be as fun for me, I'm trying to focus on Jeff arguing against me or kind of shutting <laughs> me down moments, which are getting really funny. Um, but I, it's going to be great. I, this is going to be like a, a six-hour episode. The reason why I'm announcing this early is I, I need your help. Um, if you guys have any Jeff moments specifically on Chapter Tactics, any episodes, timestamps would be even better. Um, that you particularly enjoyed that you want me to add to the highlights episode, um, please just put that in the comments section. Put it in YouTube, frontlinegaming.org. Email it to me at frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com. Whatever you want. Um, I'm just, I'm having trouble. It's so much, it's hours and hours and hours of, like, raw data that I have to go through. Um, and like like a, an idiot, I didn't save all of it onto, like, a hard drive. It's oh, all saved you? into a, yeah. it's all saved onto a cloud in in the, the um, software that I use to record. So I have it all. But it's it's a lot. So um, if you have any favorite Jeff moments, um, I would love to just hear the episode number, and I could go in there and find them. Um, but I, it's something I'm working on. It's I'm not guaranteed it's going to come out anytime soon. It's a lot of editing, and I'm not very good at that. But I want to do my best. So if you could help out with that, that would be awesome. Also, 
check out the secondhand shop, go to frontlinegaming.org and all that good stuff. And Sean hasn't been on. He was on last week, but he's not on this week. Check him out at In the Finest Hour. As always, you all are the best listeners in the world. Thank you so much, Brandon, Peter, and Reese for coming on. It was an absolute blast. Brandon, when you take over the world, spare me. Save me for last. That's all I ask. No promises. (laughs) And as always, (laughs) yes, have a good one. Give him no quarter. Bye-bye.